Oh, Father, we lift all of our heart up to you. What can we say? You are the great one. You are so great. You are so good. And we are so honored to be in your presence. We linger a little longer. Surely there's a a word you have for us from Holy Scripture. Make it clear, please. And may we leave with a certain sense of your greatness and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated, please. Oh, how great God is. Amen. And amen. Now, I want to show a picture in a moment that will be of not the tallest mountain in Europe. It's not the tallest, but it is the most treacherous and challenging mountain to be climbed even today in Europe. When we were over in the, with the School of Architecture uh, back in June in Italy for the uh, Waldensian tour, they were shooting a documentary over there with Kathy Dembski. After it was over, we slipped up to uh, Switzerland because we wanted to celebrate, Karen and I, our 35th anniversary. And so we found a little place there, did it all online, you know. And when we woke up the first morning, I want you to see the picture out of that little tiny apartment in the village of Grindelwald, Switzerland. You're looking there, ladies and gentlemen, that is Eiger. They don't even call it Mount Eiger. It's just Eiger. 13,042 feet tall, so it's not the tallest. But you see, you see the front of it? That is a 5,000-foot vertical face. It was not conquered for decades. Fatality after fatality of men, intrepid men, wanting to go up that vertical face. The first successful climb. And I found all of this out in the little village bookstore. I bought a book called The White Spider. Because the white spider is the nickname they've given Iger. If you look up on that uh, close-up now, there's a patch of vertical ice and snow. You have to traverse it to go to the summit. And it is a deadly patch. Because in the summer, because you wouldn't climb it in the winter, in the summer even, the melting of the sun releases little particles of ice and snow that become projectiles and missiles And by the time you get to this white spider patch, you just have to pray that you'll make it across that patch without being stricken. Many plunge to their death because of the falling projectiles. This is a story. The first successful ascent, July 21 to uh, July 24, 1938, by Heinrich Herrer. They were six starting. Only four made it to the summit. So it gives you an idea of the magnitude of that challenge. Now, why talk about the white spider at all? Here's why. Because it occurs to me at this moment, in this waning moment of this summer, there are massive white spiders towering in front of our civilization and our nation. This crazy economy that we were talking about when we left, nothing's changed. That little whistling by the cemetery in the dark business of it's all okay now, don't believe the whistles. This economy, this whole thing with the health care debate. I mean, you following all that? Afghanistan. We have these massive white spiders today that are impeding the progress. But here's the deal about a mountain. You can either go up it or you can go back. You can't go around it. The white spiders that face the human race are going to have to be ascended somehow. And by the way, flip it over. Forget the, forget the 
global white spiders. We all have our personal white spiders. We have these looming, towering mount financial peaks that are blocking us right now. I'll never be able to make it to that top. We have physical summits. I'm talking about our health. We've got emotional. We have social. We have academic mountains. Some of you are freshmen just coming to this campus. We are so excited to have you. God has led you here, and you're in for an incredible adventure. But it's, for some of you, it's feeling like a massive white spider right now. There's no way I can get through this. Oh, you can. It's because we all have and face our white spiders that we're beginning today a little mini, a little two-parter called Lessons from the White Spider. Two mountain climbing stories from the Old Testament. Today and next Sabbath. And then we plunge into a new school year because everybody will be back. Two stories with fresh hope and courage. I don't want you to be discouraged. You either go up or you go back. And God says, I'm not letting you go back. You've got to go up. We'll climb this. We'll make it by God's grace. Story number one today. I wish we could put an 85-year-old man right here. Is there anybody here who is a man who, and who is 85 years old? I promise I will not make you come up on this platform, but I kind of want to visualize what an 85-year-old man, man would look like today. Anybody proud to be 85? You're not so proud, are you? <laughs> we had some put their hands up in first church. If we could put an 85-year-old man right here. By the way, is 85 young? No, it's not young. Is it old? Oh, I don't know that we'd say it's old. Why don't we just agree it's middle-aged? Middle-aged, all right? If we could put an 85-year-old man right here, we could then begin to visualize the story that's about to unfold. His name meant dog. Now, I know that in our nomenclature, that's not a very, that's not a very complimentary kind of name. You call somebody a dog. And yet he's one of the greatest unsung heroes in the entire Old Testament. When he comes on the scene in our story today, he's 85 years old. Subtract 40, he would have been, subtract 45 rather, that would have made him 40. Those numbers are important, as you'll see as we open up our Bibles right now. Let's go to the story without any further delay. The sixth book of the Bible, Joshua. Go to the book of Joshua. Find Joshua chapter 14, please. By the way, I'll be in the New International Version today. If you didn't bring a Bible, oh, please, find, uh, find the Pew Bible right in front of you. It'll be the New King James Version. Not too much difference. I'm thinking, though, I'm going to be preaching in the NIV again uh, this fall. I'm getting my uh, New King James rebound because the cover just tore apart. By the way, I have a woman that I know if you have a Bible that needs to be recovered. You just get a hold of me. You're watching on television. You get a hold of us and I'll give you a phone number and you can get it done. She did this one and did a beautiful, beautiful job. So this is in, in the Pew Bible. This would be page 159, Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. Lessons from the White Spider. The story of a man named the dog. Joshua. Chapter 14. Let's pick it up in verse 6. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him... I hope hit the pause button right there. He said to him, but hold it right there. We need a sense of what's happening in this story. For five years now, the children of Israel... And we used to sing this as kids in Sabbath school. Didn't we sing a song about uh, the walls of Jericho that came a-tumbling down? Wasn't there some kind of a song like that? The walls of Jericho came a-tumbling down. It's been five years since Jericho collapsed 
And they conquered the first city of the new promised land. I wish the story were win, 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 win. But the story goes like this. Win, win, loss. And it was a bitter loss. Win, win, win. There's a whole other story in that bitter loss and the tragic lesson they had to learn the hard way. But five years now, they, they've, been, they've been conquering piece by piece until most, most of Canaan now is ready to become the promised land that God has given to the children of Israel. That's when the story happens here and these men of Judah approach. Verse 6 again. Now the men of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal and Caleb, whose name means dog. There he is right there, Caleb. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to Joshua. And I need to tell you, hold, hold it just a moment. Kenizzite, listen to this. This is fascinating. Scholars believe, some do, that Caleb was a descendant of Kenaz, the grandson of Esau. So the children of Israel are all descendants of Jacob. So he's almost like a distant cousin, all right? Grandson of the son of, a grandson of Esau. And that Caleb was a proselyte, one of the mixed multitude who joined the children of Israel in that midnight flight, the exodus from Egypt. He was probably a shirt-tailed cousin of Moses who was related to the Kenites. So isn't that something? Here's part of the mixed multitude who became a radical believer. His name meant dog. Caleb starts to speak here in verse 6. He says to Joshua, You know, keep reading here, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea about you and me. Because there's something very special about Caleb and Joshua. Kadesh Barnea, by the way, code words. Code words for the moral meltdown. Do you think God planned on Israel taking 40 years to conquer uh, to the, the wilderness between them and the promised land? Are you kidding? He wanted it to be a matter of months. You remember the story? Twelve spies go in, ten spies come back. Massive walls. No way, Jose. We can never take this land. Two spies spoke up. And then God made a promise. All right. Everybody under the age of 20. You're not going in. Only these two. So Caleb is reminding Joshua, you and I, we're the only ones living, left. Caleb says to Joshua, now you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God of Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But, verse 8, my brothers who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt with fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So, verse 9, on that day Moses swore to me, you heard it, Joshua, the land on which your feet, Caleb, have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, I love this, He has kept me alive for 45 years since He said this to Moses. He has kept me alive. You think about it, Caleb's the second oldest man in the community. He's 85. Joshua is older. Everybody else is a little burial mound on those hot wilderness sands. Nobody's left. He's kept me alive. You know, when I read those words, I think of the senior citizens in this congregation who can make the same testimony. The Lord has kept me alive all these years. Hallelujah. We are so blessed to have you that God has coached and nurtured to your senior years in this congregation. Now I want to say a word to the young because there are a few young who are here. The commentary on this verse in Joshua. By the way, I called up, I called up the great, uh, she, she is such a dear friend, Professor Leona Running. 
the great Hebrew professor in our theological seminary. She's 93 years young now. I called her up this last week. I said, Leona, you got, you're the only one that knows who wrote the different books of the Bible commentary in our commentary series. So who wrote the book? Who wrote the commentary for Joshua? She said, I'll call you back. She checked it all out. Um, Otto Christensen, some of you might remember that name, wrote the book on Joshua. Now, I want to put for those who are young, this is, this is not for the aged. This is not a quote for you. This is for the young. I want to put it on the screen for you. The reward of a life of virtuous youth and temperate manhood by nature's own law is ordinarily, that's the key word, usually a vigorous, healthy, and respected old age. Loyalty to God had apparently preserved Caleb from the dissipating sins of his fellow Israelites. He hadn't indulged appetite as they had, nor had he lost sleep and rest at night, struggling with a pained conscience. His abstemious, his, his self-controlled life had paid off in dividends in this life. And now, in our story, he presents himself before Joshua with undiminished strength at an age when most others had already been called from this life. Now, I want to say something to you who are young. Don't you believe, don't get snookered by society which will call you to sow all the wild oats you want right now. I'm telling you what, it isn't worth it. Whatever, whatever a man sows, he's going to eventually reap. So here's the deal. Don't you be at all. Don't you be at all ashamed about living virtuously, healthfully, righteously and faithfully. You live that way. You live it boldly. And one day, if Jesus doesn't come soon, your life can be extended just when the community of faith will be needing you. You start right now. Look at Caleb. Read verse 10 again. Now now then, just as the Lord promised, He has kept me alive for 45 years since the time He said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the desert. Here I am today. Can you see that 85-year-old man saying this? And by the way, they didn't leave to be 200. Joshua will live to be 110, so he's the equivalent of an 85-year-old man today. We just buried the, the, the last survivor of World War I, who's 109. So it's, our, it's, it's within our age bracket now. Here I am today. What did he say? So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me, and I love it in the New King James, now give me this mountain. I want this mountain. I'm 85. I can do it. Give me this mountain that the Lord promised me that day 45 years ago. You yourself heard then that the Anakites, these giants were there and that their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me at 85 years of age, I will drive them out just as he said. Hallelujah. Mark those words down in your brain and never forget them. Give me this mountain. I want that mountain. The cry of an octogenarian. The bow cry. What can we learn from it? I want to share with you four lessons and then we'll sit down and we'll go. Four lessons. Grab your study guide. Do you have the study guide? Did you get a worship bulletin when you came in? Thank you, friendly ushers, for making sure everybody today gets a study guide. If you didn't get one, you want these four lessons. Hold your hand up. Four lessons. And by the way, the lesson number four is the key. You want lesson number four. It's a secret to all the first three. And while they're doing that, I want to welcome those of you who are watching on television right now. We're delighted to have you. I want you to have the same study guide. Jot these lessons down. Go to our website. Let me put it on the screen for you. www.pmchurch.tv You're looking for the little two-part series, Lessons from the White Spider. 
Lessons from the White Spider. This would be part one. That's the one you click on. Next week will be part two. And then, by the way, don't miss our brand new New Year series that begins two weeks from today called The Temple. Not the temple here. What's up up there? What is going on in the temple up there? This may be the most challenging series you and I will ever work through together. It begins two weeks from today. The temple. But right now, lessons from the white spider. Jot them down. Let's go. There are four of these, but the first three will only work if you have lesson four. That's the clincher, number four. But write it down, please. Lesson number one, be willing to be in the minority. Be willing to be in the minority, even if the minority report won't carry the day. Still be willing to be in the minority. Now look at guys, ladies and gentlemen, I understand that there is a little bit of teenager in all of us that loves the warm security of being a part of the pack, a part of the crowd, a part of the majority. I remember when I went off to college for the first time. This is for you freshmen. When I went off to college for the first time, I was a missionary's kid. I graduated from Far Eastern Academy on the island nation of Singapore. Came back to the States all alone. And so went off, as you heard just a moment ago, went to uh, Southern College. Now, I've got to tell you, Far East, Singapore was 10 years behind life in the United States. So when I landed on that campus, I was dressing like happy days. <laughs> I had long, dark plants that were intentionally just a little short so that they would reveal the white socks that I had on. I showed up in that first freshman orientation meeting with these white socks that looked like they had neon lights just announcing that they were there. I realized nobody else in that crowd was wearing white socks. I went straight back to that dorm, took those socks off, and never wore them again. There's something about the teenager in all of us. Nobody wants to stick out like a sore thumb. Nobody wants to look different. I look like a country bumpkin. I don't want to do that. But lesson number one, be willing to be a part of the minority. Nobody likes standing out from the crowd, I understand. Twelve spies come back, ten of the twelve, the vast majority say, giants too tall, walls too massive, cannot be done. And when the people start wailing, Caleb and Joshua go, go wading out into the morning congregation. Hey, time out, time, wait, hold it. What do you mean it can't be done? You forgot who's leading us. Of course it can be done. Do you know that they picked up stones ready to stone the minority report? Two spies who said, with the power of our God, we can do it. No matter what the cost, my friends, we must all be willing to be a part of the minority. Let me share with you some words written a hundred years ago commenting on this aspect of Caleb's life. Put it on the screen for you. I do believe they're in your study guide as well. Speaking of Caleb, it is when the unbelieving cast contempt upon the Word of God that the faithful Caleb's are called for. It is then that they will stand firm at the post of duty without parade, without show, and without swerving because of reproach. The unbelieving spies stood ready to destroy Caleb. He saw the stones in their hands. The hands of those who had brought a false report, but this did not deter him. He had a message and he would bear it. The same spirit will be manifested today by those who are true to God, end quote. There's been a big ruckus this summer across the nation in our community of faith over the competing worldviews of creation and evolution and theories of origin. The story of Caleb 
is a compelling reminder that even if you're in the minority, you must stand, hold, hold that ground. Hold your ground. Lesson number one, be willing to be in the minority. Lesson number two, jot it down. Grow bolder as you grow older. Grow bolder as you grow older. I have a a wonderful mother-in-law. She's 90 years young. She'll be 91 in uh, January. She likes to quip. Growing old ain't for sissies. That's good. You know, I've got to tell you, this is kind of embarrassing to admit this to you, but I used to think, I used to think, you know what? What is the problem? I would love to grow old. I mean, come on. When you retire, you never have to work a day in your life again. Hallelujah. When you're retired, you can sleep in for as long as you want every single day. Now, I'm beginning to discover, you know, even if you want to sleep in anymore, you can't. Is that happening to you too? Even on Sunday, your day off, you can't sleep in. You're waking up with the birds. This is a conspiracy by the young. That's what I think it is. You guys plan this. Now, I tell you what, after losing two fathers, watching both of them die, not very pretty deaths, and having two beloved mothers now, Watching all the medication, all the pills, all the doctor visits. I've, I've revised my understanding. I believe my, mother, my mother-in-law is right. Growing old ain't for sissies. But you know what? Growing old physically doesn't have to mean growing weak spiritually or morally or ethically. You can get bolder. You can grow bolder as you grow older. That's what happened to Caleb. He got bolder as he went. By the way, that's the truth about Abraham and Sarah. Their faith story here at the beginning was nothing like it was when they grew old. That's the way it was with Jacob. That's the way it was with Moses. He had to go past 80 before God said, I can use you now. Grow bolder as you grow older. It was that way with Ruth and Mary and and, and Paul and John. Until when you get to Paul, who's just about ready to be executed, and he's saying, I know who I have believed in. I'm persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. Grow bolder as you grow older. We are so blessed in this parish to have you who are seniors, the senior followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't understand the incredible commitment you make to the body of Christ, your tenacious faith, your willingness to stay faithful no matter what happens. I'm telling you what, God sent you to us. We have to have you. You model to us what we must be. We too want to grow bolder as we grow older. I want to share this with just the seniors. The rest of you, you you don't have to listen to this, but there's a promise that I find so beautiful. And I want you to hear these words from God. God is speaking this promise to you. This is in the book of Isaiah. I want you to look it up in your Bible. We'll put it on the screen, but go ahead and look it up. Because you may want to mark these verses in your Bible. This would be Isaiah 46. Just two verses. But I tell you what an awesome promise God makes to you. Isaiah 46, verse 3. He says, hey, listen to me. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all you who remain in the house of Israel. You whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. I've been with you since the first gasp of air when you came out of your mommy's tummy. I've been there with you. Now notice what he promises to you. Verse 4. Even to your old age and gray hairs. 
I am, I am He. I am He who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Isn't that beautiful? Even till you have white hair or no hair, it doesn't matter to me. I'm there for you. I'm with you every step of the way. I'm going to hold you and sustain you and I'm going to rescue you right at the end. I'll rescue you. A lot of debate in this healthcare about end of life issues. The big debate in the healthcare conversation right now. What about end of life issues? God is saying, end of life, I'll be with you. You want an end of life issue? Here it is. I'm with you till you die. I'll be with you when you breathe your last. I'll be there. I'll be with you. Oh, what a God. Wow. Grow older. And as you grow older, grow bolder. Lesson number three. Jot it down, please. Ask God for your mountain. Octogenarian Caleb cries out, give me this mountain. We've got to pray the same prayer, ladies and gentlemen. Ask God for your mountain. It doesn't matter the mountain. we all got different mountains, trust me. We're different ages. we got different mountains. It doesn't matter. Financial mountain, physical mountain, health mountain, social mountain. I'm, I'm here as a brand new student mountain. It doesn't matter the mountain. We've got the mountains. But here's the deal. We need to ask God to give us. Oh, God, give me. Give me this mountain. This story, hair-raising, describing the first successful ascent. They came to a point of no return. I don't want to put the words, I think they're in the study guide too, put them on the screen for you. Forward, now this is Heinrich Herrer. This is an English translation of the German book. Forward, he writes, was the only way. These are the weak and frozen because they are iced up. They're spending the night... In a rope. There's no, there's no ledge. You're hanging in a rope. Waiting for the sun to rise so that you can start climbing again. Forward was the only way now. No more turning back. The past was wiped out. All that mattered was the future. And the future lay over the snow-plastered, ice-glazed summit wall. I believe, and here he's speaking a truth for all of life. I believe no man can be completely able to summon all his strength, all his will, all his energy for the last desperate move till he is convinced that the last bridge is down behind him and that there is nowhere to go but on. There comes a time in life when you have to cut the ropes to your past and just go up. There's no choice, buddy. Up is the only way left. Give me this mountain. We need to tear a page out of Caleb's playbook and ask God for the mountain that intimidates us. Give me this mountain. You know what? Just mouthing the words will enable us to talk the talk. You're going to have to talk the talk before you'll ever walk the walk. So just say the words to yourself again and again. God, give me this mountain. What are you talking about? I'm talking about this financial crisis I'm in. Give me this mountain. I'm talking about this educational, academic crisis I'm facing. Give me this mountain. This string of failures in my life. Give me this mountain. What you're doing is you are transforming. You're you're shifting the paradigm. In fact, would you jot this down, please? You shift the paradigm. We need to shift the paradigm on that towering mountain before us so that rather than defining it as an obstacle, we ask God to give it to us as an opportunity. There's a huge difference. Just changing your mind about the mountain. Oh God, I know it's a crisis, but you know what? Give me this mountain. Because it will be the perfect moment for you to show yourself strong on this planet for me. Give me this mountain. Please. That's what Caleb did. Nothing's changed. It's still the awful mountain it was 45 years ago. He has to still take it. He's asking for it now. Give me. 
give me this mountain. I love that promise in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. I skipped over when I was putting the study guide together. My apology. I'm going to put it on the screen. Please jot this down. This is a promise for you. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully, fully committed to Him. Isn't that beautiful? He's just looking for somebody to help. If you say, give me this mountain, ah, I'll help you. Sister, brother, I will help you. Give me this mountain. He's just looking for someone whose heart is longing for him to show himself strong. All right, here it is, final lesson four. Now remember, the first three will work if there's lesson four. This is, this is it. Lesson four is what counts. You'll get the first three. If you remember lesson four, jot it down and finally follow God wholeheartedly. That word is between quotation marks because the, the Hebrew word for wholeheartedly appears six times in connection with the life of Caleb more than any other person in the entire Old Testament. He's called following God wholeheartedly. In fact, it's three times in the very story that we just read. Let's end the story now. Joshua, go back to Joshua 14. Let's end the story with verse 13. Caleb asks, give me this mountain. Here we go. Then Joshua blessed Caleb. This is verse 13 of Joshua 14. Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh. And he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, with all his heart, wholeheartedly, as the NIV renders it. So what does it mean to follow God wholeheartedly? Well, let's just answer it this way. What would it mean to follow God half-heartedly? What does it mean to follow God half-heartedly? I mean, having just come from a wedding. Can you imagine wedding vows? And we've got a beautiful wedding tomorrow with Guillermo and Esther. Uh, can you imagine wedding vows going like this? I pledge to have and to hold you, to love and to cherish you with half my heart. Do you think there was a, there, there's a minister in the world who would put his hand out and say, all right, I now pronounce you husband. Are you kidding? If you ever say half my heart, you go home. It's over. What does it mean to follow God wholeheartedly? Otto Christensen. I love this. He writes that the Hebrew word for wholeheartedly gives the idea of a traveler who intent upon following his guide walks so closely in his steps as to leave hardly any space in between. Now, that is very close. Look, because it's summertime, does it, hasn't it happened to you? You're wearing flip-flops and someone behind you keeps stepping on them because they're getting too close. What were you doing? When you wear those little flip-flops, that's what it means. To follow God wholeheartedly, it means to walk so close to Him, you are practically stepping on His flip-flops. Hebrew says it's that close. That close. I can't think of a better way in this pre-New Year moment. I can't think of a better way to enter the New Year than to follow God wholeheartedly. Can you? Yeah. So how do I follow God wholeheartedly? You can, you know. I want to end with this. A century ago, these words written about Caleb have a lot to say today. Just one line. Look at it. It's in your study guide. It was Caleb's faith. It was Caleb's faith that gave him courage. Even so, today... To follow Jesus requires wholehearted, there's that key word, requires wholehearted conversion at the start and a repetition of this conversion 
every day. Did you catch that? Wholehearted at the start and a repetition of this conversion every day. So what's this with the repeat conversion every day? It's a simple, ladies and gentlemen, just get this down. All it means is to go to the mountain of salvation every day. Go to that mountain every day. You say, what mountain are you talking about? There's only one mountain in the universe. God stood at the foot of that mountain one day. And long before Caleb cried the words, God stood at the foot of this towering mountain. And he cried out, give me this mountain. I'm talking about Mount Calvary. So here's the deal. Every day for the rest of your journey, every day for the rest of your journey, read the story of Calvary in Matthew 27. I do it every day. Climb Mount Calvary in the, just behind the sandals of Jesus every single day. Whatever you do for your worship, include the reading of Matthew 27. Begin in verse 24, go to verse 54. Read, climb the mountain every day. And when you get to the summit of Mount Calvary, at the foot of the cross, you pray the prayer of Caleb, Oh God, give me, give me this mountain. I can't save myself. I can't save my family. I can't save my friends. I can't save my career. I can't save my life. Oh God, give me, give me this mountain, Mount Calvary. And you know what he'll do? He'll give you every gift that flows from Mount Calvary. He'll give it to you. How did that hymn writer put it? Free to all a healing stream flows from Calvary's mountain. Give me that mountain. Give it to me. And by the way, true, true. If you will pray that prayer, give me this mountain, speaking of Calvary, every day with Jesus. If you will pray that prayer, there is not another mountain in your life that Jesus will not help you climb and conquer with Him. You go up Calvary every day and you get every other mountain as well. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain.